0: Pastor Mark is going to come. Pastor Mark is our student ministries pastor. Most of you know him, have met him, and he's going to come and bring a word this morning that's going to challenge you. So will not you put your hands together one more time and make Pastor Mark welcome as he comes.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Am I on? Hey, a couple of things of house uh, keeping before we get started. If we have any members of the top 10 cheerleading team in the state of Texas, I think. Do we have any members? If you're a member of a top 10 cheer team in the state, can you stand up quick? <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, they, I know they worked really hard. and they, I think uh, Paula and them posted some pictures of the cheer team and they looked ecstatic. I mean, it was awesome to see the joy on their faces. Um, That was this weekend if you weren't following. Uh, Also, we have a youth lunch next week following the service. It's free. That means no money. You can come hang out with us. We're going to cast some vision for 2023. Talk about where we need help. Talk about, you know, whether it be help financially for prayer, uh, for serving. If you like, hey, you know, I I might want to help out a little bit, but I don't want to become a sponsor or anything like that. This is the meeting for you, or if you just want to see what we're doing in the youth ministry, come hang out with us. Everybody's welcome. You don't have to have kids in the youth group to come. So next Sunday after service, we're going to be doing that. All right, so come hungry. All right, let me get started then. So this morning, I want to talk about Jesus. I know everybody's shocked. Okay. Um, I want to talk about Jesus and specifically the cross, But I'm going to start here with a verse in in 1 John. i got a little bit of a ring. In 1 John 4.10. And I want to highlight this verse today. So, John says this. This is love. Notice he didn't say this is kind of love. Or this is part of love. Or this is a version of love. He just said this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son (coughs) as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if you break this down, the verb here being used, the action of love, is the word sent. God sent his son. That is love. All right? I want you to keep that in mind. (coughs) This morning as we move on, we'll come back to it. But if you want to know what love is, it's God sending his son to atone for our sins. All right? So, this morning, I'm going to ask a question. Has anybody used a GPS before? All right, hold on. This is way more hands, way more percentages than the first service. All right, <laughs> GPS. All right. Anybody use the old technology, the, the ancient technology of paper maps? Anybody to go somewhere? All right, all right, we're, we're, we're tracking. We got it. All right, so how a GPS works, or even really a map for that matter, it's just you got to do more of the work is you maybe get in your vehicle, you turn on your phone, or you have one in your, in your car, and you say, I want to get to X place. And so I'm going to punch in a destination, an address, and then it's going to route, and it's going to say, okay, here's where you turn. Here's how long you go on this road. Here's, you know, merge to this road. And it, and it starts to react based off of what you punched in as a destination and where you are currently. It takes where you are and puts you and gives you a path to get to where you want to be. But a GPS will not work if you just get in the car and you start driving because it has no destination. It'll just sit there. It won't say anything, right, unless you still have one from the previous trip or whatever. But the idea is you need to punch in a destination or if you're using a map, you need to figure out where you're going to go and then track a path back to where you are to get there, right? That's how it works. And it says, so the GPS will tell you turn left in quarter of a mile, right? And so, all right, I'm going to make the correct turn. That's the goal of the GPS is to say, you want to get to there? You're here. Here's how you get there. Make this turn. Take this path. But notice again, the GPS does not work without understanding the destination. And that's one of the things I want to bring up this morning. Right, wrong, correct and wrong turns cannot be defined without understanding a destination. You cannot track whether a turn was right or wrong if you don't know where you're trying to get. And that's very important for what we're going to talk about this morning. So right and wrong turns are defined by the established destination. And if any of you have ever done the I think I can get there on my own and uh, found out later that you, you probably should have used the map I've been in those situations where one wrong turn, one missed exit turns into two missed exits, turns into welcome to New Mexico. <laughs> All right? If you've been there and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, what we would call it is you're in the weeds. Yeah, I don't know where I am. I can't even figure out where, I'm. I'm in the weeds. I'm lost. I don't know where to go. So that's That's something that happens when we try to get some places on our own, and one wrong turn can lead to very many. Or my favorite, when you're going somewhere and you miss a turn or an exit, and it adds like 20 minutes to your trip, and you're like, dude, what? How is that possible? You know, you're about to do an illegal U-turn in the middle of the road and not have a Christian license or bumper sticker at all, hopefully. All right, so what I want to talk about, though, is why we want to make right turns is because wrong turns have consequences, we want to get somewhere wrong turns have consequences to get there. Sometimes, sometimes it's simply a waste of gas. You know, uh, you're not in any hurry. You're not in a big, it's not a big deal. But now you got to burn, you know, an extra five minutes. And you know how much gas costs sometimes. It's like, geez, that's, that's a lot of money. You could say waste of money as well. But a waste of gas. Uh, another thing it would be is a waste of time. Like I said, it adds some time to your trip. A wrong turn, now it's going to take us longer to get back to where we were trying to go. i got to i got to turn around. I got to take the next exit, through, turn around, come back, take that one. Uh, it's a waste of time. But sometimes if you have, let's say, a job interview and you're trying to get there on time and you make a wrong turn or two, it might cost you the opportunity. Sometimes a wrong turn robs us of opportunities, robs us of, of something we are trying to get someplace at, at a certain time, someone's about to perform, and we miss it. I know... This is not in my notes at all. We, she knows where I'm going. We were, uh, <coughs> it's not my fault. All right? <laughs> we were trying to get uh, to a Corey Asbury concert, and we stopped to um, get dinner. And they, they, they brought out, we were actually with Keelan as well. And they brought out Keelan and my wife's dinner, and I just sat there waiting, waiting, waiting. like, it'll be ready soon. It ended up being like 20 minutes. They were all done eating. And uh, we were supposed to get, I got my food, my wife's like, great, pack it up, let's go. <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to eat here. And honestly, we, we got there, Corey Hasbury was doing his last song. She really wanted to go. At least it was Reckless Love, right? So she at least got to hear that. But anyways, but We the Kingdom was great, so it turned out to be a good trip. But the idea is, you know, we missed the opportunity of seeing him because we were late. Um, and so furthermore... Wrong turns, and you might be thinking i 'm being dramatic but i 'm going to talk about it in a minute. Wrong turn can lead to, to serious consequences up to death, sometimes a wrong turn if you 're in military uh, if you 're uh, in a military operation, you make a wrong turn, you might not be coming back all right and sometimes a wrong turn can lead to even more things worse than death, and that 's what I want to talk about today, but today I want to talk about the most Probably the most infamous, notorious wrong turn in, in our recent history—a wrong turn that set dominoes, that started dominoes falling for a hundred years or more. All right, and if you can throw up the picture, I'm going to talk about it this morning. Sunday, June 28th, 1914. Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie got into a car. Were driving in a motorcade, waving to a crowd of people in an Austria-Hungary uh, owned area called Sarajevo. They were leaders in Austria-Hungary government. He was an archduke, and they thought their presence would ease tensions between the Austria-Hungary people and the Serbians. Okay. So they were coming as an offering of peace, waving in a slow-moving convertible. And if you know anything about history, leaders in slow-moving convertibles is often more of a target than anything. So they were driving, trying to make peace, but there was a there was this group of Serbians that were called the Black Hands. And they were essentially what we would call a terrorist organization. They obviously thought that they were liberators, but they... They hated the Austrian-Hungary presence. And they thought, if we can kill him, it'll show that Serbia can fight back. And maybe, maybe we'll push our people to, to, to try for independence. And so the Black Hand had six agents in operation during this, this parade, this, this driving to the town hall where he was going to speak. The Archduke was going to speak. And one of the operatives saw his opportunity as the motorcade drove by and this, this vehicle drove by and he had a grenade in hand. And he said, here is my time to be known forever as, as the great liberator of Serbia. We're going we're to stick it to them. We're going to show them who's boss. And, and everybody's going to remember me and my name because I assassinated the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. And so he has a grenade at the ready, lobs it at the vehicle, but he overshoots. The Archduke and his wife duck. It topples over the vehicle, rolls back into the crowd, Injures up to 20 people. Sends them to the hospital. The wannabe assassin makes a break for it. Tries to jump off a bridge into the water below. There was a drought. Breaks his legs. Apprehended. Probably an omen of things to come. And so the archduke and his wife they continue driving and and they they get to their destination at the town hall and security's on high alert. Obviously they're rattled. They're shaken because they almost died. And so... He goes and he does his speech, and he, he makes some comments about it. But a lot of the civilians in the area, they come in and they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to show our, our appreciation that you're here. We're going to show this is not all of us. We're not all trying to kill you. And so they come and they support him, and they give a speech, and then the speech is done, and, and the leaders come together, and they say, what are we going to do? You almost got killed. What's the plan? You know, some obviously were saying, hey, we need to get you out of here, undercover, secret thing. Other people are saying, hey, just go your attendant route. But there was another option that someone said It said, "Hey, I, I know let you're here to bring peace. Let's show them you're not afraid of the terrorists and let's go to the hospital of all the injured people and so they that sounds, that sounds great we're going to show them we're not afraid, and we're going to look like libera- we're going to look like people that are bringing them back together. We care for these people it, it, it's, it's an all game situation and so they get in the car, all the leaders, and they start driving to the hospital but Probably maybe one of the most unfortunate missed opportunities in history is nobody told the driver of the change in plans. And so as the driver was headed to the intended route and didn't know about the reroute, he makes a wrong turn. One wrong turn. Once they realize this, he stops, he stops the vehicle. He's like, oh, no, I'm going the wrong way. I need to figure out how I'm going to get to the hospital. I'm in a new place. I'm not from here. I'm in, I'm in a new place. I've got to figure out how to get there. And so he stops the vehicle, probably pulls out his map, is trying to figure out how he's going to get to the hospital. But he just so happens to stop his vehicle after the wrong turn in front of a cafe that one of the members of the Black Hand is currently at. And so the member of the Black Hand looks up, and he sees the car, the Archduke, his wife, and he sees his opportunity. He's probably sitting there reeling, saying, we failed, we messed up, everybody's going to mock us, and our guy broke his legs, it's terrible. And now he sees the opportunity to be the one that will take out the Archduke and his wife. And so he marches up to the vehicle, revolver in hand, and point blank, this time, he's not going to miss, no one's going to miss. He shoots Sophie in the abdomen, he shoots the Archduke in the neck, and kills both of them. The Archduke's last words were, Sophie, you got to live for our children. And then he died, and then shortly after she died. They did not make it because of one wrong turn. And if that were the end of the story, it would be a tragic, unfortunate event. But it's not the end of the story because this man was a leader of Austria-Hungary. And there was already tension in the nations in Europe at this moment. And so they propose a demand to the Serbs. And they say, hey, you need to do this, this, and this. And it was so unrealistic that there was no chance they were ever going to say yes, but they didn't want to be seen as the aggressors. They wanted to say, hey, we tried to work it out. You know what I'm saying? They tried to work it out, and they, they were the ones that wouldn't do it. So they send an unrealistic set of demands. Serbia tries their best to do all of them, but misses one, and that's enough for Austria-Hungary to declare war. And now there's a war between two nations because of one wrong turn that led to an assassination. And if that was the end of it, that would have been enough to be tragic. But the problem was Austria-Hungary had an ally. They had a few, but one very, very potent new superpower in Europe called Germany. But the Serbs also had allies, like France and Great Britain. And those allies had allies. And all the allies had allies. And before you know it, 30 nations are now involved in an all-out World War I. And 16 million people lose their lives. Because of a war that was a result of an assassination that only was made possible by one wrong turn. And if that were the end of it, it would still be, it would be just breathtakingly bad. But it wasn't, because during this war, people refined and improved ways to kill one another. They became better. They they made innovations in technology to to kill more people at once, to kill them more efficiently, to make them suffer. One of the things that we don't talk about from this war is it's the psychological, psychologically damaged people that came back. 16 million people died, but millions more never really came back from that war. And then they came back to families, which was entirely disrupted because now the husband is, is broken. He's no longer a person. And so that is bad enough, but... This war ends, and a treaty is brought forth, a treaty that for some reason pits everything against Germany, who didn't even start the war in the first place. But I say, Germany, you're going to pay. Germany, you're at fault. Germany, you lose your, your, your power. You lose your army. You lose everything. You, your people need to just, you're the losers, and we're going to stick it to you now in this treaty. And so a nation that's already just been defeated embarrassingly, now has all these stipulations put on them, and the people become desperate. The people say, hey, we need to find somebody that will stand up for us. And in the meantime, an economic downturn took place across the world. And so the people became more and more desperate. They needed a leader. They didn't care about his ethics, his morals. They didn't care about anything. They just wanted somebody that was going to take that treaty and throw it in the trash can and, and, and bring Germany back and restore its people back to one another. And so they turned to a man named Adolf Hitler, a leader that said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore everything in this treaty, and I hate all those people just like you, and we're going to bring Germany back, we're going we're gonna to restore, we're gonna, they, after, the World War, after World War I, they separated the German people out, they made new borders, and families were separated, we're going to bring them back together, we're going to march into nations and just take back our land and bring back our people. And so Germany looks to Adolf Hitler, again, somebody who maybe they looked past his morality, and Adolf Hitler is probably the most infamous dictator that we know. A mass genocide of 6 million Jews, 7 million Soviets, citizens, by the way, 1.8 million Polish civilians, 312,000 Serbian civilians, 300,000 gypsies, 2,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, 70,000 repeat offenders, and an unknown amount of German protesters and activists against the Nazi Party were all killed. And a war broke out at that time as well that cost the lives of 3% of the world. About 80 million people lost their lives because of a war that essentially was enabled by a bad treaty of another war that sparked itself at an assassination because of one wrong turn. And if that was the end of the story, that would have been enough. But history always has a way of one domino falling and the next one falling too. Two superpowers arose from that war. The United States of America and the Soviet Union, the USSR. But see, during that war, everybody, again, they refined the killing machines, and and America probably perfected it in something that they dubbed the hydrogen bomb. They used Little Boy and Fat Man and dropped it on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And the whole world knew warfare had changed. Nuclear warfare became, became the new fear. And so the United States, the U.S. and the USSR, well, they both tried to compete with each other with nuclear warfare. And then everybody was afraid those two nations will go to war and just blow up the whole planet because they do have the capability. And so nobody wanted the United States and Russia to go to war. So whenever, but there was a direct conflict between communism and, and democracy, and it was, it was all over there. Even Germany was split in half, and one half was communist, the other half democratic. And so there's this great world pressure, but nobody wants these two nations to go to war. So what do they do? They fight something called proxy wars, and they use other nations to fight through, nations like Korea, where they take North and South Korea, and they pit them against each other. Koreans lose their lives left and right. Of course, Americans and Soviets also lose some of their lives, but... 5 million people die in the Korean War. Then they do it in Vietnam. 3 million people die, and so on and so forth. But what I want to get to here is one more clash between these two nations, in a little nation that probably no one would talk about called Afghanistan, where America promised the Afghani people that they would supply stuff to help them win this war and to help them get, get rid of the Soviet Union. And America, of course, when they make a promise, they expect about 17 promises in return because that's what we do as a nation. But they do that, and there's a, there's, a, there's a military leader in that group that sees what America's doing. America's ripping off the Afghani people. He wants them out of there. They won't leave. They keep pushing and pushing and pushing. You know, I did you a favor. Now I'm going to require 10 favors from you. And he begins to hate the United States of America, and his name was Osama bin Laden. And in 2001, September 11th, Two 767s fly into the World Trade Towers, one flies into the Pentagon, and one comes down in a field in Pennsylvania that was intended for the White House, born from Osama bin Laden's hatred of America, that came from the proxy wars, that came from the two world powers and the technology that rose out of World War II, which was the result of a bad treaty from World War I, which all sparked from an assassination of one man, was only made available because of one wrong turn one wrong turn one literal wrong turn sparked everything else made everything else possible but I want to go back a lot farther than that because I want to talk about the first bad wrong turn and we can switch pictures here there was an even more infamous wrong turn we got it we lost it there it is Genesis 3, verse 1, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, which he didn't say, "um, or you will die. You will not certainly die, said the serpent to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil, and when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate some. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. One wrong turn. Within one generation, we go from paradise to brother killing brother. All right, it goes from Eden to Cain killing Abel. And it goes so on and so forth, and mankind becomes lost. Making wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn. Hopeless to get back to that place in the garden. Hopeless to get back to a relationship with God. Hopeless to be reconciled back through man's actions. We continually made wrong turn after wrong turn. And then God said, hey, I'm going I'm to even use Moses and I'm going to give you a map. I'm going to give you a map. And what a map was supposed to show us what it looked like. And all it did was show us how lost we really were. The Ten Commandments came to say, hey, here's how you should live. And all it did was basically tell us, man, we really are far off from God. In the garden, there was one commandment. Don't eat from the tree. We couldn't even follow that. We had no excuse. It was paradise. Yet we still couldn't follow God. Mankind was hopeless to get back to God. And we made wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn. Kings would rise and fall. Nations would rise and fall. Leaders would come, prophets would speak, but we would still make wrong turn after wrong turn. And decades turned into centuries, and centuries turned into millennia, where mankind could not find its way back to God. And people would preach, if you're just good enough, you'll get back to God. If you just don't sin, you'll get back to God. And if you just kill these animals, you might be in right standing with God. But mankind could not do it. But I want to remind us of something. Right and wrong turns are defined by the established destination. If you're hopelessly lost and can't get back, the only option is that the destination moves to you. And that's what God saw. He said, mankind is hopeless and they will never come back. They've tried it on their own. They've tried everything they could do. and They'll never make it back. So I'm going to take the destination. I'm going to take the relationship between God and man. And I'm going to reconcile it and bring it back. And I'm going to move God to them. Enter Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Enter the Messiah. Enter the one the whole world has been waiting for. We were lost like blind people in a cave trying to feel our way around. And God said, all right, sending Jesus in. This is enough. I'm going to send the Savior of all people in. And enter Jesus, and he would say things like, I am the way. Oh, man. I am the way. They're lost. Oh, good. Here comes the way. So much so that, in fact, the early disciples would call themselves followers of the way. You can read that in Acts. That's what they, they call themselves followers of the way. They knew he was the way. They were lost, and they found the way. He was the way, the Okay, so we were lost. We didn't know truth. We found death in our rebellion against God, and we we didn't know our way around. And here it comes. The destination comes to us. And says, God says, hey, y'all don't know what love is. Y'all thought love was trying to love God. But love is God sending his son to reconcile us back to the Father. Sending the destination to you so that you might have eternal life, you were hopeless, you couldn 't get there, and he said no i 'm going to send it to you i 'm going to show you i 'm not going to wait anymore i 'm coming to you and that in all for all intents and purposes is the message of the gospel the light humanity 's hope, the destination had come the way back to God, a right relationship with God was right there, and Jesus comes down and he and he speaks with people, he heals them and then He's crucified on the cross for our sins. He's buried. He rises again. He says, I'm going to send someone like myself, called the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be your helper, and they're going to dwell within you. Okay, listen. The destination went from being somewhere so far off that we could not reach to in us, which means wherever you go, is the answer for all the lost. If Christ and the Holy Spirit dwell within you, you are the light in the darkness. You're the answer to the lost. You have the way. That is the gospel. We sometimes miss it. But that is the truth of the gospel. It was not us. We couldn't find our way back and we were hopeless. We relied on God in Christ alone alone. For him to come and save us, grace alone. (laughs) And now we have salvation because of what he did. But now we represent people who know that way. But the thing is, whoever in here has gotten saved, has turned their life over to Christ. You'll notice when you wake up the next day, you still have the same job. And you still have the same family, for better or worse, right? You still have the same friends. You're still in the same house. And you're like, oh, I was lost. And then God said I'm found, but I'm still here. And I, man, that is intentional. Why? Because you ain't going to find all of the lost people coming into one place and anyone else getting saved. You can't do, no, if we all came to church and this is the only place we practice our faith, then Cleburne suffers. But if all you disperse and go out and all of you carry the light within you, well, then you're out in the weeds and you're finding other people out in the weeds. And you say, hey, listen, it looks like I'm lost, but I'm not, I'm found. And I know the way. His name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Let me show him to you. All right, because I have here 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you know that you're a temple of God and the Spirit dwells within you? We need to understand that we have the spirit within us and we are out in the weeds as found people, believers in Jesus. And so let me, let me continue on here. You have the good news. You have the answer. You have the way. God met us in the weeds and he kept us in the weeds so that we could be a light to the lost. Okay. And when people receive, uh, people receive Christ, they're in the same place wherever you are is now the destination that, you're, that the lost are trying to reach. And Colossians 3.17, I want to read this because this is, this is where I wanted to get to today. Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed. So whatever. Whatever you do. What do you do for a living? Where are you at at your job? Where do you live? Who's in your house? Whatever you do. Whatever you do in action. Whatever you say, doesn't matter. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When Jesus said, go into the nations and make disciples, notice he didn't specify where. I don't think Jesus cared. I think Jesus was like, you have the light of God in you. Go. Wherever you go, I'm there. The destination is. Be a light. Go into that nation. Go over there. And of course, the Holy Spirit will guide us sometimes. But I think sometimes we get too caught up in that, that we have the destination inside of us so we can walk in to any situation, any place, and bring the light of God to those people. Instead of saying we got to bring them to church, no, I'm bringing God to you, man. Let me tell you about Jesus. And if you're worried that maybe, oh, well, I won't, I won't present the gospel completely accurately and all of that, uh, Pastor Devin and I have been talking a little bit. There was a criminal on a cross next to Jesus. Psst. He didn't say a prayer. He didn't know much. He just saw, hey, this guy, this is the king. I've been serving the world this whole time in my flesh and my own understanding, but this is the, this is the king. And he's saved. He didn't do anything doesn't even really say he believed. He recognized Jesus as king. And he said, that's, and Jesus said, you yeah, know, I'll meet you. All right, so if you're like, I don't know if I'll present it, just present them Jesus and count on the Holy Spirit to do its work. All right, and so I think what Jesus says there is essentially, hey, go get lost, go on an adventure, go into the nations and find the lost. And if you've ever been in a car ride you say, let's just go somewhere, let's just drive in a direction well, you're never lost, because that was your plan all along, to be wherever you are, and that's the way Christians should be walking. And so the last thing I want to bring up, as far as the notes are concerned, is rescuers know the way, but have the burden of reaching the location of the lost. Any paramedic team, ambulances, they, they, they know the hosp- where the hospital is, but they got to go get the lost. They don't stay in the hospital and say, well, you know, if the, lost, or if the injured people would just get here, you know, get to church. I mean, the hospital. Uh, they could be saved. That's not. That's not what rescuers do. And Christ called us to go to the nations. So, I have one more question, though. I want to kind of dig at. If that is the truth, if that is the gospel, then why don't people walk like that? Why do we struggle to walk in that? Why do we struggle and say, "I know I have the light inside of me, but boy, it's really embarrassing to talk about. So I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to keep." my little light of mine under a bushel. Why is it difficult to walk in that understanding? And I'm not just talking about the new believers, okay? Let me get that straight. I'm talking about the veterans as much as as the ones who have been a Christian for a year. Why is it hard for us sometimes to say, "I, I have the light inside of me, I have Christ inside of me? Why are we still striving sometimes? Why are we still trying to find our way back to God, saying, if I just make the right turns... Then God will love me. That's not what love is. 1 John already told us what love is. Why do pastors insist on trying to make men and women make correct turns first? Why is one who is entirely lost coming into the church hearing, hearing Jesus for the first time and the very first thing they're told is, well, then you need to make a right and a left and a right and then three lefts and, oh, oh, you messed up. Oh, well, nice try. When they had a thousand wrong turns to get where they're at anyways. Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is, love is that God sent his son to us. And for the lost, it's that God sent his son to them. And so, you know, they're, they're like, I can't even get back, so I just give up. It sounds too difficult. And they're right. You'll never get back. We have to rely on God. All right? Christ finds us in the weeds, restores us in the weeds, gives us hope in the weeds, tells us to, tells us to be a beacon to the lost, still in the weeds. Salvation brings sanctification. Sanctification does not bring salvation. Good works does not bring salvation. But salvation can change your heart, which brings forth good works. All right? And that's so important for us to stand. So why why is it that people who who believe they have arrived, why is it so hard to walk in that truth? And I'll tell you exactly why I think it's difficult. It's a couple words. Accountability. Responsibility. Sobriety, relationships, the right now of it. When we are light in the darkness, it puts on accountability on us. So that every person in your workplace that's lost, you're accountable for. That's why we don't like that. If I still have to get back to God, then I can't be held accountable. But if Jesus Christ lives within you, then we're all accountable for the people we come in contact with. We're responsible for them, the lost souls of this world. Bethel Temple is responsible for the lost in Cleburne. And I know Pastor Mike has a new initiative this year. Each one, bring one. And that's great, because I think we'd all love to see, you know, Bethel Temple filled up and we could do some amazing things. But don't mistake that for they're lost, I'll bring them to church and let Pastor Mike do the work. Jesus didn't say, go into the nations, Load them up and bring them back to me. Jesus said, go into the nations and preach the gospel. I'd rather see you guys, well, all of us, including myself and the youth and everybody else, bringing in baby Christians. Hey, I told them who Jesus was, and the, their eyes, they could see like Paul's, the scale fell off Paul's eyes, and they could see, and they were, they were inspired by the message of the gospel, and they want to get plugged into a family that will support them, and well, here we are. That's what I like to see. I think sometimes we mistake that and say we got to bring them to church for them to find God. No, we bring God to them because he's within us. Again, rescuers don't, rescuers know the way but have the burden of locating the lost. All right? For us, salvation is free at the door, but not in consequence when we walk through it. And that's what people sometimes, they say, salvation is free. It is. But now the change in heart, well, that's consequences now i can no longer watch the lost suffer and say it's okay i'm comfortable with it it compels us the holy spirit convicts us and says hey reach out to other and i know a lot of people probably have somebody in mind already but i want to i want to end today you guys can yeah uh, i want to end today and just say this i want to make some time for, for an altar call for two types of people in the room I want, to give us, I want to give us the opportunity to come up here. Not that God hears us better from the, the front uh, uh, altar. But it is an act. It's a gesture. You know, when you've done something wrong or said something wrong, and you make a gesture. Hey, look, I'm here. There's much, not much I can do for God who knows everything, has everything. Is like, What am I going to do? But I'm going to make a gesture. If you're somebody who's felt like you've been lost in the weeds and have been striving to get back to God, trying to do the devotionals, trying to do the Bible plans, trying to be have perfect attendance at church, trying to say the right things, and you feel like, I keep getting lost. I keep, getting, I keep struggling. And you haven't quite grasped the idea that Christ has come to you. And you just need a moment to come up here and kind of reconcile that with yourself and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for constantly, constantly trying to do things on my own. My pride got the better of me. Let me just lay it down and say, Jesus, you've, you've already come. You've done the work. You showed up. Let me accept that. And instead of trying to walk in my own pride, walk in the grace and the mercy of the Son of God. And the other people in the room that I want to make available, and again, one of the things with altar calls is people get embarrassed about coming up, especially if they've been in the church for a while. Because it's like, oh, I don't know. It's you know, I just I don't want. I don't want that person, that particular person, to know that I'm struggling with this. Um, don't let that stop you. All right. For those who feel like they've been hiding the light, and they have somebody in their mind that they said, "Dang it, I, I've been thinking about that person, and I, I've been wanting to present the gospel to them, but, but I'm, I've been afraid. But I, I didn't know if I could say it right." I just want to invite him to church because I, I was afraid. I want to give you a time to kind of come up and just and really uh, honestly r- repent and say, God, I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, help me. And the rest of these people in this church will stand in agreement with you because anybody that has God in their heart is not going to be afraid of the gospel being shared. So those two people, if you feel like you've been struggling to get back to God, or you have somebody on your heart that you've been resisting to to share the gospel with, I invite you to come up. We can all stand here. We're going to go into worship as well. I'm going to give you some time to think about it as we move on here. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for love that reached down to us because we were unable to get back to it. God, hear our hearts. Hear our cries of the people who struggle to understand this gospel message in its entirety. God, I pray that everybody in this room realizes that there are light in the darkness. That they carry the way within them that if they have somebody on their mind, that they reach out to them. They show them the Jesus they believe in. They explain to them what that Jesus did in their lives. They were one way, and through the grace of God, they're now another way. I pray that they grab on those those lost and say, I want to follow that Jesus that, that changed your life. I want some of that. I want some of that peace that never never lets up. I want that eternal joy. God, I pray that we all as a church reach the lost city of, the lost in the city of Cleburne and beyond. And I pray that anybody that's been hiding that light pushes past the shame and the fear, pushes back the insecurities and reaches out to those people. We thank you, Jesus.
0: Were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry? From north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified. Were the whole earth echoing His imminence, His name would burst from sea and sky. From rivers to the mountaintops, we'd hear Christ be magnified. Singing of oh, Christ be magnified, just let his praise arise, Christ be magnified in me. Singing up, oh, Christ be magnified, from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. in most melody, every human heart is made in cry, then in one raptured hymn a praise. of my life Christ be magnified in me we're singing oh Christ be magnified just let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me singing oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me singing of oh, Christ be magnified just let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me singing up oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified and me. Strong I worship you if it puts me through the fire. I like your trust you're there too. I won't be formed by form feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If your cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified with you. Cause there is just a doorway into resurrection life. life. If I join you in your suffering, I'll join you when you rise. And when you return, glory, with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. Lord, my song will be the same. Oh, Christ, be magnified. Let his praise arise, Christ be magnified in me, singing all oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified, just let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me Oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified sing it just once more Oh Christ be magnified just let his praise arise Christ be magnified Let that be your heart.
1: Let Christ be magnified, the altar of your life. That's that's my goal this morning is to get us to say, let Christ be magnified in us. Let him see Christ in us. Let us realize that we carry him within us. As you go today, I pray, I pray that we, we as a church, we begin to have that heart for the city, the lost, when you go to Walmart, when you go to Tractor Supply, wherever it might be, is that your heart begins to turn for the people that are lost there. Now we would bring the light of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Let our lives magnify Christ. God, I pray for this body. I thank you for the opportunity to come up and speak. Um, We pray for Pastor Mike and Sheila as they as they are on on their trip. Um, And I just, I pray blessings and peace over this congregation, but also also an inspiration to to bring Jesus to those around them. We thank you for, for everybody's time this morning that they came, and we just bless everybody as they leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
0: Every victory through every valley, I still need Jesus over everything for your glory, for your honor. To you, Jesus. just wanna speak the in- name.